want to share a passage of scripture from, with you from John chapter 8, beginning at verse 31. And I want you to see some things in this passage that maybe you've not seen before as it relates to our freedom. The Bible says that Jesus said to those Jews who believed him. So here, here's what I want you to notice, first of all, about this passage of scripture. And that is that Jesus is talking to believers. All right? He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to believers because he says to those Jews who believed him. And they were not just believing what he had said. They were believing in who he was. And so it's very important that you understand that this is not a scripture written primarily to unbelievers. This is a passage of scripture that is written primarily to believers. And so Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word... You are my disciples indeed. Now notice he doesn't say that abiding in the word of God is what makes us disciples, but he says it is what shows that we are disciples. Because he said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And then he says this, and you shall know the truth. Now listen, this means more than just reading the Bible and knowing that the Word of God exists. This means having a knowledge and an understanding of God's Word. And then he said that when you know the truth, then knowing the truth, understanding the truth, applying the truth, living according to the truth shall make you free. And the reason why I point that out is because you can have 10 of these laying around your house and still be in bondage. It takes more than just a copy of the truth. You need a knowledge. You need an understanding of God's word. And it's his truth that sets free. And then notice what they answered. They answered him and said, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. Now, remember, Jesus is speaking here to believers. He's speaking to Jews who had believed on him, and he's talking to them about freedom. And these Jews that believed on him looked at Jesus and said, why would you talk to us about freedom? We've never been in bondage. And that reminds me of a lot of believers today when you begin to talk about freedom the first thing they want to do is say, well, we're believers. You know, we've never been in bondage. We're believers, and even if we have been in bondage, we were set free. But notice what Jesus says here. He says, there are these believers say to Jesus, they said, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. Now, let me just say something right here. You will never be free until you, first of all, recognize you're in bondage. No, you, you just never will. Do you think for a moment that these Abraham's descendants had forgotten that they had been in bondage to Egypt? And that they had been in bondage to Babylon? And that they had been in bondage to Assyria? And I could name several other nations. Even at the time when Jesus spoke to them, they were in bondage to Rome. But yet they did not recognize their bondage. And they said, we've never been in bondage. Their whole lives were spent in bondage, pretty much. 
And God was continually having to deliver them out of their bondage. So they said, well, how can you say then, Jesus, that that we will be made free if we've never been in bondage? And Jesus answered them and said, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And I'm going to talk about that passage next week. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. But listen to me, before you can be free indeed, you've got to recognize that you are first of all indeed in bondage. And he that the Son makes free is free indeed. So Jesus is just letting us know here that it is possible for believers to be in bondage and not recognize that they are in bondage or not want to admit the fact that they have been or are presently in bondage. I want you to look at a passage of scripture with me this morning from Matthew chapter 5. And I thought about just pulling out a few different passages from this scripture or from this story. But this story is so good, we just can't leave any of it out. We've got to read the whole story. And we see that Jesus and his disciples have just come through a storm on the Sea of Galilee. They've gotten to the other side of the lake. And then it says that when they got to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes, which was... A country that was occupied by Greeks, not Jews. Now understand, you know what Jesus said. He said, I've come first to bring the gospel to the Jew and then to the Gentiles. But now here he is early in his ministry going to Gadara where there are Greeks and he will minister to one man in particular. They came to the country of the Gadarenes and when he had come out of the boat, look at this, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. That's just another way of saying a demonic spirit. And we're going to see here in just a moment where he had more than one demonic spirit inside of him. And it says in verse 3 that he had his dwelling among the tombs. Now imagine this, this guy's living his life in a cemetery. And he might as well because he's dead. He's dead on the inside. And he's living his life in a cemetery. Did you know there's a lot of people today may not literally be living in a cemetery like him, but they're presently living in a cemetery because they're dead spiritually. And it goes on and says that his dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with chains, but that doesn't mean they were not trying They were trying, it says, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And isn't that the way that the world today still tries to treat and to cure bondage in people's lives? Just put them in a straitjacket. Just bind them up, chain them up. Notice what happens next in this passage of Scripture. And the chains had been pulled apart by him. And the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And then notice this in verse 5, it says, and always, this is sad to me because this is how some people are always living their life right now. He said, and always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out and cutting himself with stones. But then look at what happens in verse 6. When he saw Jesus. Listen, I don't want you to see me today. I don't want you to see any other person in this room. The only person I want you to see today is Jesus who is waiting to set the captive free. Amen. And and, and the story says that when he saw Jesus from afar, 
he ran and worshipped him. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. And then it says in verse 7, and he cried out with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? Now, let me tell you what's happened here. All of a sudden, the man has stopped speaking and the demons in the man have started speaking. Because it says he ran from afar and bowed and worshipped Jesus, but then he, he here is referring to that demonic spirit on the inside. He cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. Now, how do we know that this is the spirit speaking from this man and not the man? Because Jesus doesn't come to torment people. He comes to torment the devil. Amen? He comes to torment demonic spirits. And this demon cries out and said, I implore you by God that you do not torment me for he said to him Jesus had said to this man come out of the man unclean spirit then Jesus asked him what is your name and he answered saying my name is legion now that word legion means a Roman troop of soldiers nearly 7,000 men strong and he uses the word legion and then notice what he says he goes from speaking singularly to plurally He said, for we are many. And then it says that he also begged Jesus earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Why? Because once the enemy has established a stronghold in an area or once the enemy has established a stronghold in a person's life, he doesn't want to give up that territory. And so he begged Jesus that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine or pigs was feeding there near the mountains. This is how we know we're not in Jewish country, but Gentile country because Jews didn't eat pigs and they didn't raise them. But now a large herd of swine was feeding near the mountains. So all the demons, notice that, all the demons begged him saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. I'll talk about that in a moment. And at once, Jesus gave them permission. Don't you love it that demonic spirits have to ask permission and get permission? Now listen, what we're going to find out here in just a moment is Jesus has authority over demons. But if we're not careful, we can give demonic spirits permission and grant them access into our own lives. So then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. Now look at this. There were about 2,000. Now that tells us there were at least 2,000 unclean demonic spirits in this man. Because they went into 2,000 pigs. And it says that the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Notice the moment that those demonic spirits went into those swine, what did they do? They destroyed themselves. Why? Because the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Then verse 14 says, So those who fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the one, I love this, who had been. Who had been. How how many of you remember this morning what you were before you met Jesus? Amen. I had been an addict. I had been an alcoholic. I had been in bondage. I had been this. I had been that. But I am a has been. I am that no more. Hallelujah. And notice it says they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon possessed 
and had the legion and he was sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And look at this, they were afraid. They're afraid of a man who's clothed in his right man, but they're not afraid of a man in chains living in the cemetery. Something's wrong with that picture. They were afraid, but then notice in verse 16, and those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with Jesus, look at this, to depart from their region. Now, you would think they would be saying, please don't leave. Please stay here with us. Do a seminar on how to cast out demons. Come on, don't, don't leave. But they're imploring him to depart from their region. And notice it says that when Jesus got in the boat, he who, and third time, had been demon-possessed, begged Jesus that he might be with him. But Jesus said, no, I've got a greater plan for your life. Jesus did not permit him, but he said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had compassion on you. And listen, when God does a work in your life and when God does a work in my life, we don't need to keep that to ourselves. We need to let others know what God has done for us. Amen? And then notice what happened in verse 20. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis. Decapolis is a region of about 10 cities. Deca means 10. We get our word decades from it. Paulus means a metropolitan area. So it's a metropolitan area made up of 10 cities. And Jesus said, I want you to go into all of those cities not just in Gadara, but you need to go into Damascus. You need to go into the other cities around here and tell them all that Jesus has done for you. And look at this. And all of them marveled. Oh, we need 32,689 people marveling at the wonderful works that God has done in our lives. But how are they going to know if we don't tell them? Amen. Now, there's three little simple things that I want to talk to you about this morning from this passage. Number one is this, and that is there really are demons. There really are demons. Now, I never thought that I would have to stand in front of a Christian congregation of people and say that. But there are so many believers today who do not believe in the existence of demonic spirits. I like what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis said that there are two kinds of people that the devil loves and gets excited over. He said, first of all, he said, there are those people who are skeptics. Skeptics. In other words, they're, they're the people that deny the existence of demonic spirits. And, and they say that if they ever did exist, they just existed in the time of Jesus. But, but since then, it, it's not been an issue. Skeptics. But, but not only are there skeptics, but there's also, he said, like sensationalists. And, and that is those people who see a demon behind every bush. You know, that every issue and every problem in life... Is because of demonic spirits. You know, that's why you even hear some people say, well, I, I ran out of gas. The devil's just trying to destroy me. He's just trying to get the best of me. No, you just didn't put gas in your car. 
It's just that simple. You know, when your, ga- when your car runs out of gas, it's going to stop. That's, that's just the way it is. But there's skeptics and there's, there's the, 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 the supernaturalist or the sensationist that see demons behind every bush. Now listen, if you're in the camp of the skeptic or if you're in the camp of the, the, the supernaturalist or the sensationist, then what you need to do is, is you need to come to the middle. You need, you need to find some balance. And that's what this sermon today, that's what this series is, is about. It's helping people find middle ground. But, but, but what I want you to understand this morning is there really are demons. They're demonic spirits. Where did they come from? They're fallen angels. You go to Ezekiel chapter 28 or Isaiah chapter 14. And you read about the fall of Satan. You read about how in heaven his name was Lucifer. And he had great influence in heaven. Many believe that he was even the leader of worship in heaven. And he had such influence that he convinced a third of the angels in heaven to join him in his rebellion against God. Well, God wasn't going to have any of that. You see, Lucifer got filled with pride and thought that he was bigger than and greater than and more powerful than and more influential than God. But he found out real quick because God booted him along with those thirds of an, third of angels that had rebelled against uh, God with him. He booted them out of heaven. That's why Jesus said, and we'll see this scripture in a moment. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And that's where these demonic spirits come from. They are fallen angels. But let me tell you something else about demonic spirits. They are disembodied spirits. That's why they are looking for bodies to occupy. They are looking for a house to live in. Let me show you just a few scriptures in Matthew chapter 8 verse 16. The Bible says that when evening had come, they brought to Jesus many who were demon possessed. And he cast out the spirits, I love this, with a word. A word. What do you think that word was? I think it was go. (laughs) One, One word says he cast them out with a word and healed all who were sick. Now listen, if if we take out this subject of demonic spirits out of the Bible, then we're going to have to remove much of the Gospels and we're going to have to remove much of the ministry of Jesus. You, You see that I preach a lot from the New King James Version of the Bible. In the New King James Version of the Bible, the word demon is found 82 times in the Gospels alone. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 82 times. Or excuse me, it's found 82 times in the New Testament. 61 of the 82 times, we find it in the Gospels. And those 61 times that we find it in the Gospels, we find where Jesus is confronting and casting out demonic spirits out of people's lives. 61 of 82 times speaks of Jesus dealing with, casting out, confronting, tearing down strongholds, and delivering people from bondages in their life. So if we were to try to remove that, we're going to remove a good portion of Jesus' ministry. We're going to remove a good portion of the gospel because the gospels are filled with it. Like here in Matthew 8, 16, they brought him a demon-possessed person and he cast out the spirit with a word. Matthew chapter 9, verses 32 and 33 says that as they went out, behold, they brought to him a man mute and demon-possessed. And evidently the demon-possession was what was causing the man to be mute. And it says that when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke. 
And the multitudes marveled, saying it was never seen like this in Israel. Why? Because up until this time, no one had power and no one had authority over demonic spirits. But when Jesus showed up on the scene and showed what one with power and authority looks like, things were different. Amen. Matthew chapter 17, verse 18, this is where a man had brought his son to the disciples and they could not cast the demon out of his son. And so he goes to Jesus and it says that Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. Mark chapter 3, verses 14 and 15 says that he appointed his 12 disciples that they might be with him. Now let me just stop right here for a moment and say the most important thing you can do as a believer of Christ is spend time with Jesus. Before you do anything, spend time with Jesus. And notice before he commanded them to do anything or gave them any kind of an assignment, he said he appointed them that they might be with him and that he might send them out to do what? One, to preach. Two, to have power to heal sicknesses. And three, to cast out demons. And they did just that in Mark chapter 6. They went out and they preached that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And then in Mark 16 and 17, this is good news for believers this morning. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. He said one of those signs is they shall cast out demons. So I think it's obvious there really are demons. Really are demonic spirits. But here's the second thing that we need to understand this morning, and that is they really do enter people. They really do enter people. Now, before I show you a couple of passages of Scripture, I don't think the confusion or the question this morning is, do demonic spirits enter people? I think the question is, do demonic spirits enter believers? Well, in order for us to understand that, we need to look at that phrase that's used a lot of times in the New Testament, demon possession. Because it comes from two different Greek words. Daemoni, which is translated demon, and zomai, which is translated possession. Now, the Greek word daemoni has one meaning and one meaning only. It means demons. But zomai actually has two different meanings, the word translated possession. And this is where we as believers need to have some insight. First of all, the word possession does mean ownership. That's what it means. That's one of the meanings, one of the definitions. It means ownership. And, and, and let's just face it, and I've prayed with some folks, some unbelievers before, who were literally owned by the devil. They were so possessed of demonic spirits that literally he, he had possession of them. He owned them. But another definition of possession is not ownership. Here's what it means. It means to gain mastery over, to gain control over, or to have power over. Now listen, for a believer, the enemy does not own us. We have been bought with a price. 
The blood of Jesus has redeemed us and we belong to Jesus. But as we're going to see here in just a moment and next week, if we're not careful, we can open doors in our lives that allows the enemy to have mastery or power or control over an area or areas of our lives. Maybe a better word rather than demon-possessed as it relates to the believer is demonized. Because a lot of believers intentionally or unintentionally open doors and grant access to the thief to come in to steal, kill, and destroy. You say, Pastor, do you have scripture for that? John chapter 10, verse 1. Look at this. Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door. The sheepfold here is referring to believers. It could be referring to the church. We are the sheep of his pasture. And notice it says, he who does not enter... The sheepfold by the door. Who was it that identified himself as the door? Jesus said, I am the door. Now, what, what this is a picture of is that shepherds in this culture, that shepherds would all bring their sheep to one gathering place, and they would leave their sheep there overnight, and then they would come back the next morning and their sheep knew their voice. And even though their sheep mingled and mixed with other sheep, they heard the voice of their shepherd. And when their shepherd spoke, his sheep would come out of the sheepfold, but none others would because they didn't recognize the voice of that shepherd. But what would happen is when they would put their sheep for the night in charge of one who was a gatekeeper or a doorkeeper, he had to know who the shepherds were, who the true shepherds were. Because false shepherds would try to come, get into the sheepfold, and steal somebody else's sheep. And notice, they could not get in by the door because the shepherd would recognize, the gatekeeper would recognize that they're not a true shepherd, they're a false shepherd, and he would deny them entrance, but then notice what it says, but they would climb up some other way, and when they climb up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. In other words, the enemy may not be granted access through the door, but he's going to keep looking until he can find a crack in a door or a crack in the window where he can gain access. And then notice what John 10, 10 says in that same chapter, that the thief does not come except, we miss that sometimes, this is his only purpose. Listen, the devil doesn't come into your life to bless you. Come on. Let's get that straight. Sometimes I think we think God's holding out on us. You know, that, that, that God is withholding something good from us and that the enemy has convinced us this is good for us. Come on, open yourself up to it. No, the devil never comes to bless you. He has one purpose and one purpose alone. He comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But... The door, the good shepherd. He said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. So you see, we can grant him access if we're not careful. Give him control, mastery, 
power over an area of our lives if we're not careful. Let me just use this as an example. Let's just say that there's somebody who drinks alcohol. And they drink too much alcohol. And they get inebriated. They get drunk. Now listen, the alcohol, or maybe it's some form of a drug, does not own them, but it's in them. And it affects and influences their character and their behavior. Matter of fact, sometimes when folks get drunk, they have to go back and apologize the next day for some of the things they did and some of the things they say. And, they, and here's what they usually say, that's just not who I am. And, and even though that substance did not own them, it was in them and influenced them. Let, let, me, let me use another example. Let's just say when you came to church this morning, you left your doors unlocked or your windows unlocked at your house and then when you get home today, I'm not trying to get fear in anybody, you know, trying to get you to be suspicious about what might be going on at your house right now. But when you get home today, you find out that there's a thief in your house. Now, let me ask you this. Does that thief own your house? No. Is that thief in your house? Yes. And as long as you allow that thief to stay in your house... He's going to steal, he's going to kill, he's going to destroy. Amen. But Jesus said, I've given you authority to get the thief out of your house. Amen. He said, what you've got to do with this strong man is you've got to bind him up. You've got to arrest him and you've got to get him out of your house. Does that make it a little bit more clear? You see, we are not owned by, but we can be influenced by. The enemy, when I talk about these disembodied spirits, let me just show you a couple of more passages of Scripture. In Lamentations chapter 1, verse 10, notice it says this about the adversary. Now, Lamentations is written by the weeping prophet. He's lamenting the weeping prophet, Jeremiah. And so Jeremiah says this, as the Holy Spirit speaks through him, he said, the adversary who is the enemy nations or the devil, he said, the adversary has spread his hand over all her pleasant things. He's talking about the nation of Israel here. And he said that the adversary has spread his hand over all her pleasant things for she has seen the nations, that is the pagan enemy nations, enter what? Enter her sanctuary, those whom you, God, commanded or forbade not to enter your assembly. Do you see that God had commanded them not to? God had forbidden them, but they opened doors for the enemy to come in and access was granted. Lamentations chapter 4 verse 12 says that the kings of the earth and all inhabitants of the world would not have believed that the adversary and the enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. But guess what? They did. The enemy and the adversary entered in and he stole, he killed, he destroyed. Joel chapter 2 talking about the invasion of locusts. 
That was a picture of nation after nation after nation that would come in and wreak havoc on the nation of Israel. It says about these locusts, they run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall. They climb into houses. They enter at the windows. Look at this, like a thief. That's why we've got to keep our doors shut tight in our lives. That's why we've got to keep the windows locked. We cannot give the enemy an inch because if you give him an inch, he'll think he's a ruler and he'll take over your life. He'll do it. Trying to help you see something this morning that is so important. So listen to me. There really are demonic spirits. They really do enter people. Can I, can I just give you one more example? Early in Jesus' ministry, do you remember one of the first places, if not the first place that Jesus visited in his ministry? He went into the temple. And when he walked into the temple, what did he see? Thieves and robbers in the house of the Lord. Now, I want you to notice they were in the outer court. They were not in the holy of holies. They were not in the holy place of the sanctuary, but they were out in the outer courts, money changers and thieves. And what did Jesus do? He drove them out of the temple. Where did he start? In the house of the Lord. He said, my house is to be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. And the Bible says that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Well, if evil spirits are disembodied spirits, they're looking for a body to inhabit. They're looking for a body to live in. When these demons were cast out of this demoniac of Gadara, they went into the swine. Why? Because they were just looking for a body. And then they get influence over the soul, which, by the way, I think proves my theory that animals can be demon-possessed, especially cats. I'm just saying. I don't mean to offend any cat lovers this morning. But dear Lord, help us. That's something up with that. He's looking for a body. He's looking for a house that will grant him access. So they really do exist. They really do enter people. But can I close with some good news this morning? Please do. Jesus really does cast them out. Hallelujah. He really does. Every person that was in bondage to demonic spirits, every person that was under the influence of demonic spirits, man, when they came face to face with Jesus, Jesus commanded them to come out, and they came out in Jesus' name. They came out. Look, look at this last passage here in Luke chapter 10, and music team, you can come and get ready to close this. It said, then the 70 returned. This is that bigger crowd other than the 12. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. That word subject means obedient, submissive slaves. Did you know you have that kind of authority over demons? Did you know you have that kind of authority over demonic spirits today? That when you speak to them, when you command them, they have to become obedient, submissive slaves. And they said that even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from 
from heaven. In other words, Satan does not impress me one bit. Satan does not intimidate me one bit, Jesus is saying. My father created him. He is a created being. He has no power. He has no authority over me or any of my followers. And then in verse, verse 19, he says, behold, I give you the authority. This is you. This is me. This is believers. These are followers of Jesus Christ. I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. And he's not talking just about insects and stinging critters here. He's talking about demonic spirits. And he said, I've given you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, he said, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. He said, the real good news is you've been bought by the blood. The real news is you've been born again. Hallelujah. That's the real good news, and that's even more important than the fact that demons are subject to us. And then Jesus said this, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said... I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent. Isn't it amazing that those who claim to be wise and prudent, smart and intellectual, are the ones that have the hardest time believing this? But he said, you have revealed it to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight it's the simple minded that are able to understand and believe in these kinds of things the simple minded that just take God at his word Mark chapter 5 verse 6 here's where we'll close because I think about this demoniac who was so bound they would chain him and he would just break the chains we know he had at least 2,000 because that's how many swine ran and destroyed themselves after being possessed by those demons. So this man was bound. I, I don't see anybody in this room today, I don't think, as bound as this man was bound. I mean, he was chained up, breaking chains, running through a cemetery, no clothes on. At least you got your clothes on this morning. So I don't see anybody in the condition or the shape that this guy was in. But listen, here's what I want you to notice. As bound as he was, those spirits, those demonic spirits could not keep him from coming to Jesus. And there is nothing but your pride. There is nothing but your pride that could keep you from coming to Jesus this morning chains and all because he's come to set the captive free when he saw Jesus from afar he ran he didn't walk he didn't stroll he ran because he knew this is what I've been waiting for this is who I've been waiting for he ran to Jesus and worshipped him and as we know the story Jesus set him free and put him back in his right mind well thank you for joining us today 
We'd love to have you as our guest here at Summerton Church of God. The Lord has given us a vision to transform our community, and we're going to do that by eliminating the darkness through being light. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And so we're going to be who Jesus says we are. We worship together every Sunday at 1045, and we would love to have you and your family as our guests.